You asked me to do something. I attempted it. I didn't achieve it. I didn't ask the question as to what I could do during the process to make sure I hit the goal. But at least I'm achieving the goal that you set me and making sure that ultimately the task gets done. They were hired on the spot. Well, sir, how are you today? I'm good. Good. You've had a rough week. I have had a week. I have definitely had a week. Um, can tell. I feel like a, a pincushion at this stage. I've had a lot of blood tests and contrast CTs and MRIs and all sorts of things. Not because I'm yeah. sick. They just want to understand how big my brain is because I'm obviously so smart doing so well in business, you know? Well, it's totally based on performance. Yeah, I think totally that as soon as that. people realize that you are outperforming everyone else, they really wanted to get to the meat of it. Yeah, this is it. They are, they're all accusing me of using some description of mental steroids, limitless drugs have been thrown into the equation. Uh, <laughs> no, I've definitely, definitely had a week, definitely had a week. <laughs> I bring it up just due to the fact that, um, you know, one of the things that we were talking about um, personally were, were just kind of setbacks, just times where you were really on on a move, getting somewhere, really having a lot of progress and you had to sidestep um, or, you know, worse, you got ran over. And it, it was, it was kind of pointing me back to just different campaigns, different clients where, man, we hit the ground running so well and everything was in line and all of the theories made sense and everything from theory to practice was seamless. And then we hit a roadblock and the copy fell flat. The open rates weren't turning into conversions. And I really wanted to kind of dive into to what that's like. You know, I learn a lot about life through failures. And sometimes it's other people's failures. Sometimes it's my own failures. Uh, but I thought it might be a, just good information for people that are going through this. And maybe they did hit a, a roadblock. Maybe current climate has changed how their business is performing and that's okay. Like that's going to happen. Uh, I think Mike Tyson said it best when everybody has a plan until they're punched in the mouth. And, um, what happens next with, uh, with that? What happens after you're punched? It's always, it's that old adage of the, the best le lessons are the hardest learned lessons. And, I personally believe that if you have any scenario that doesn't go your way, it's only a loss or it's only a problem if you don't learn from it, right? Otherwise, it's it's actually can be seen as a positive thing. Sometimes it's a really difficult pill to swallow. But if you play out a scenario like you hire someone and you you think that they're going to be the best the best thing to add to your team that you've ever done and they interviewed really, really well and you put them through all the paces, they passed all the tests and a month in, they're just not delivering and you realize maybe they're just not as motivated as they seem they were. Or maybe their copywriting skills only extend to one vertical or their interpersonal skills only extend to one type of conversation. And they might've been a really expensive hire, right? And that's a really painful lesson to learn, but you'll never make that mistake again. So what do you do in that scenario, right? Like there's... There's the abrupt, like, well, we just need to go in another direction. Mm -hmm. Or there's identifying that maybe this person was overselling themselves, but they still have potential. You know, we can do the same thing with like a campaign, right? So you can run a campaign and we just find that as the time went on, performance dwindled. 
And we can say, well, that campaign needs to end, right? And we would cut ties. Yeah. Um, or that campaign needs to be reworked. And in this case, it would be an employee needs retraining. Um, like what's one, what's the telltale signs that things really need your attention? And then two, once you've identified the need and it's not just cutting ties, because that's the most severe, but also the quickest of action. Where do you kind of guide? I, I'm a huge fan of coaching up. I think that going back to what you said, the only shame and failing is not learning that lesson. And if I've identified an employee or a campaign or something along the lines that was underperforming, but I saw that it could it could learn from that failure, I'm I double back down. Right, like we we go in stronger. We come in, we coach, we talk about strategy, we rework things. We might hit it from multiple different angles. We may remove some workload and open other doors and avenues for that person to really shine in their creativity, or maybe it's in their motivation. Maybe they have a great personality. They're really energizing for a team, but they have you know some self doubt when it comes to closing. Right, like that happens to us a lot is we'll get someone that's all gung-ho, but when it comes time for that final ask, that's tough, That's difficult for them for multiple reasons, um, but you wouldn't want to lose that hire. Some people just don't like seeming like they're abrasive. Well, if you don't believe in what you're selling, then you are not going to be comfortable asking for what it's worth if you don't believe in it. If someone is selling a can of, or a bottle of wine that should be sold for $40 and they're selling it for $20, that's not because they're doing you a favor. It's because they don't believe that it's worth the amount that it, they're being told it's worth. You'll often find that the most financially responsible people, let's take it away from sales for a second. Everyone that you and I know that is really financially responsible and has that financial EQ or IQ isn't it's not accidental. They're the people that are comfortable checking their bank account every day, every other day and looking and monitoring what's going on and not afraid to look at the mistakes that might be popping up. Like those direct debits, those, those recurring payments that we have to things we forgot about nine months ago that we wouldn't be paying for if we checked our invoices or checked our bank account every other day. Same with campaigns. If you're only checking your campaign once every week or once every two weeks, or you're monitoring your performance of your team members once every week, month, once every quarter, you are the reason that there's a problem there because you're not monitoring it close enough. And frankly, if you are closely observing anything, be it your bank account, your credit card statement, your team members' performance, their close rates, you can identify problems probably before they happen. They might have happened once, but you can stop 10, 10, 12, 15 more deals from falling through the cracks by just addressing some tiny, tiny tweak that might need to be made or some major tweak, right? You might know that the closing is an issue. Yeah. And I mean, that's why you do week recaps, right? Like there's, there's a reason at the end of the week, we want to talk about the deals. We want to talk about the performance. It's somewhat so we can celebrate, right? Like there's an element of that. Hopefully we're being successful that week. So there's things to celebrate. But in reality, it's where did I miss step? Building that into your company's culture, I think is imperative. You have to be able to come together and point at the successes and point at the failures with the exact same level of comfort. 
And if you can't do that at the leadership side, right, if you're not comfortable going and checking to see how your team's performing, you can't expect your team to be doing that from their own effort. No, I think as leadership, you need to be screaming from the rooftops when you make a mistake and explain why the mistake, be harder on yourself than you are on anyone else's on your team. Because at the end of the day, it, it is a trickle-down effect. As much as we might like to think that we've got a, a very linear or flat structure, everyone does look to the leadership to determine what's an appropriate reaction to winning, losing a deal, what is the level of expectation. So frankly, we don't, we don't celebrate a deal being won. We celebrate the people that made the deal get to the stage that it was won. So once the contract's signed, we're excited and we talk about how excited we are to, to deliver for the client and work with the client. But we'll always be like, Josie, you knocked it out of the park with that deck. Or Riley, you killed it on that first stage call. Or Will, you just absolutely nailed the copy that got that call. And that was great. And like, what do you think it was that resonated with this person? Because it really worked. Like they told me, like they get 50 of these emails a week. Your one stood out and we got a call. You're the reason we got the deal. It's, that's what really, really moves the needle. But when there's problems, I will always draw a line back to myself. I'll never, ever, ever push the blame down at all. Because if there's a problem, it's my fault. Yeah, it goes back to the extreme ownership side. You know, we're only going to be responsible for the things that we identify. And if you don't take that on, it's going to derail absolutely everything because you start to disconnect yourself from the problem. You become a victim. And then there's, there's no connection to a solution once you're a victim, right? Like that takes away the power. So if we're looking at campaigns, we see this fairly often where we'll come in and we'll do a rewrite. And I'll ask, when was the last time you guys revisited this? And they're like nine months. That's enough time for a baby to be conceived and born. I mean, it'd be a tiny baby, but yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, you, you look at it and you go, and you're surprised that it's not performing the same that it did its first three months. And they are. There's this mindset of, well, that's not what we do. We said it. We did the best practice and we read X book. We did exactly that. But that's a starting point. Do you spend money? When's the last time you looked at your bank account? Nine months ago? How much do you think is in there? $1,000. You are $420,000 overdrawn. Unfortunately, that happens a lot too, right? I mean, yeah. I get more obsessive over those things just due to my history. Um, but not everybody feels that way. Not everybody's comfortable in those environments. And sales is definitely one of those big ones. So, you know, when we're looking at these campaigns that have been derailed, you know, one of the things that I would say is the first question I ask is, when's the last time we revisited it, right? And then from there, I want to ask a bunch more questions, right? I've become extremely curious. I want to know what has changed since that time? What has changed inside the business? What has changed with your customers? What has changed with the, the global environment that we're in? All of those things have a direct impact onto the performance of your campaign. So let me ask you a question. Go for it. If someone, if you ask someone, when's the last time you revisited your campaigns and they say, oh, six months ago, what's your immediate first question from there? My next question is what has changed with your business in six months? That'd be my first one, right? Because that's an easy one for them to be able to look at that timeline, reflect 
and then respond. Because you don't want to have a question that's so hard that they feel like they're put on the spot and then they get defensive about it. So what would be a hard question? This is exactly where I was trying to get you to go. Let's be straight. Like, what would be a hard question? You haven't looked at it in six months. What's the hard question you ask? The hardest question is, are you hitting the right ICP? Are you identifying the correct customer still today? I think that's really tough right off the cuff to answer without having a bunch of pre-qualifying questions. That's a nice question. If someone, if I asked someone, when's the last time you revisited your campaigns and they said nine months, the first thing that I would say, being totally honest is, why are you neglecting your campaigns? Interesting. That will tell me immediately, does this person lead with ego or does this person care about performance? Because the difference in leadership styles are drastic. And the way we approach a client from there, it's a Robert Frost moment. It goes down one of two paths. I will either have to nurture that leader to understand that it's not about them It's not his or her strategy that the company hinges on whether or not they succeed. It's his or her leadership style and making sure his or her team know that understanding every element of what makes this business unit successful is what matters. Not who managed this, who made this mistake, who won this deal. And and man, the amount of scenarios, I bet you any money, If you throw 10 questions at me, I can tie them back to ego in some way, shape, manner, or form. Yeah. I mean, I think that's going to be the case with with most things in life, um, especially when they have to have a human element to it. We are fragile beings. We are fragile creatures. Sales more so than most, right? Because there's just, there's so much that hinders on it. Competitive people tie a lot of their self-worth to their ability to be high performers. With fragile egos. Very easily smashed. You could have a team that's won the Super Bowl five years in a row and then they lose one preseason game and the team's ego and ethos and morale is shattered because they're these champions. But at the end of the day, a champion is like what Michael Jordan used to say, a champion isn't made in those moments that they win that final like three-pointer as the buzzer goes. It's made in the the dark four in the morning shooting 500 shots and making sure that they're able to just create that muscle memory and get those shots when it matters. So we do this across the board, whether it's training, whether it's internal training, no matter what it is. That's why I say any problem that happens in our business is my fault. It's my fault or it's Nathan's fault or anyone else on our leadership team, because if there's a problem, we're the ones who should have preempted it. And if it hasn't been preempted, that's our fault. That is the easiest way for people to digest feedback, in my opinion, is when you share that the ownership is on me, here is where I failed you. That feedback is way more palatable than something like, here's what we need to change about you. That is really tough, right? And when we're talking about setbacks and we're talking about things that go sideways, if it starts becoming a conversation about this needs to change about you, which is why I don't ask hard questions right out of the gates, I want to soften that blow, um, then we're going we're gonna to have a really rocky road ahead of us. If we just start identifying things that aren't attached to ego, they're truly attached on metrics or time spent or ownership of issues. It allows for people to put the ego aside and really get excited about the solution. 
right? Like we keep talking in these in these hours about problem solving. And one of the things that the salespeople are wonderful at and what they get excited by, or at least great salespeople generally are excited about problem solving. They want a solution for the problem. If you take their ego out of it and you just present them, this is the problem we're working on. We all have ownership of this problem. It's amazing to see those creative minds kick into gear. And we won't have to go through all of the process of really babying somebody, re-harnessing their ego, refocusing their efforts. That's tough to do, right? That's a nine-month engagement just in that process alone. We want to skip all that. We want to get to the point where, hey, here's a new puzzle on your desk. It's exciting. That's 30 days. <laughs> we can get a solution quick, three weeks, something like that. And I honestly think that that all comes down to how leadership, be it at the very top of an organization or just an individual business unit leader, communicates problems are only problems if you don't learn from them. Mistakes are only problems if you don't learn from them. And I am going to be front and center with you by saying, here's a mistake I made today. And I'm telling you because at the end of the day, my performance impacts your performance and vice versa. And it's okay that I made this mistake because I'm learning from it. And now I'm educating you on it and you won't make this mistake. So you need to be comfortable saying that to me. And that's where our accountability doc comes in. It's not to name and shame people. It's to make sure people understand it's okay to make mistakes if you learn from them. And that's where created, like that creativity comes into play because people aren't afraid then. They're not stuck and rigid in the process that they've seen work for the previous three years of the sales team that is training them in. They're comfortable saying, you know what? Why don't I drop in an emoji in my email copy or my LinkedIn copy? Maybe they'll think I sent this on my phone when I was on the subway. Why don't I put some creative taglines sent from my iPhone? Why not? You need more problems to be solved, right? Like there's not, you're not going to encourage solutions if you're not presenting problems. And it's a huge red flag from my standpoint when you ask anybody, hey, what went wrong this week? And they have no answer. That's scary, right? Like, we sit down with a client and we're just shooting the breeze before you know the, we get into the, the conversation. And I was just like, hey, what were the things that you guys really struggled with? Which is generally what kicks off these conversations. And there's no answer. Like, I can't have a real conversation with you on that. This is going to be a rough recap call. And I think a lot of that can be bro- broken out and built into your hiring process, right? Because... If you ask someone straight out of the gate on their first interview call, the usual questions like, give me an example of a time where you overcame a difficult scenario. (laughs) Tell me what you would do if you were presented with an opportunity that didn't fit with our needs, but you felt it aligned with a partner of ours, all those usual things. But if you ask someone a question like, if I give you a task and it's very clear A, B, C, D, E, F, G, And for some reason, you make a mistake on that. Whose fault is it? I'm always interested to hear the answer to that question. In an interview setting, what is your your most expected answer? And what was the best answer you've received so far? My most expected answer is, it's my fault. I was given clear direction and I didn't do it properly, right? That's my most expected answer. The worst answer I've gotten... Actually, worst answers are relevant. I'm not even going to put that poison out there. The best answer is... No, I want the best. You asked me to do something. I attempted it. 
I didn't achieve it. I didn't ask the question as to what I could do during the process to make sure I hit the goal. Because if I asked during the process, I might be vulnerable in the moment because I'm asking for additional help, but at least I'm achieving the goal that you set me and making sure that ultimately the task gets done. They were hired on the spot. Absolutely. I mean, what I, what I want to have is I want to have an open dialogue, right? Like there's so many things that we plan out all the way down to the absolute last detail. And once you get into it, the more you dive in, the more you might realize you're just going in the wrong direction. And if people are so used to just executing, they will execute to their death. I want them to be comfortable saying, we went this direction, we took on water, it wasn't great. Can we go someplace else? And you know, making sure that everyone is comfortable having that conversation everyone is accessible to you. You know, that was one of the things I learned the hard way is I was in an organization where the leadership were, were at least one person removed. If you wanted to have a conversation with them, it would be very difficult for you to do that. And we were executing on very difficult tasks with very intelligent and very capable people. So we would execute fully, but it would fail. And it was all, I mean, every time we would sit down and it was once a month, we would sit down and say, hey, is this working? What's not working? Nothing worked. And no one felt comfortable saying why, because they were fearful that they would be ridiculed for not being able to perform. And it, it derailed us within two years. I know I keep harping on about Ray Dahlia and principles, but Bridgewater Capital have this, they have the exact same ethos in-house. And I know a couple of people that work there and have worked there and really, we'll have another conversation another time about how they comp their employees because it's so intelligent. But one thing that I absolutely love about that organization is there is no person in there that is safe from being asked to explain something at any stage. And I remember a friend of mine who was working there, is no longer working there, was in a very substantial boardroom with a substantial amount of people in it. And they had some junior intern analyst type people and they had very senior, very senior investment managers. And someone new at the very senior level said, this is the strategy we're going to deploy. Junior analyst said, excuse me, just would you mind just explaining that to me? I don't understand it. And he said, "Um, no, I'm not going to explain to you. Just do what I say. And the analyst correctly and only because the culture encouraged them to do it said, well, actually, you do have to explain it to me because if I don't understand it, I'm not going to do it. And the person was taken completely off guard. And obviously, I'd say was was pretty embarrassed because they were relatively new to the organization. They were very senior. These guys obviously make a lot of money. So they're at that stage in their lives where they think that they're, they've earned the right to just say, do something. And most of the time they have. But that culture breeds success. It's not an accident that they're one of the most successful hedge funds in the world, it's open communication. Of course. And what does it come back to? You don't do it by Removing accident. Ego. No, you have to do it as a team. Why didn't that guy want to answer the question? Ego. He didn't want to answer the question because he's saying, I'm smart enough to know that this is right. I don't need to answer to you because I'm more senior than you. I've done this for longer. That's ego. Which we can get into on another call, which I'd love to, but that always is so disheartening from my standpoint, right? Like 
I'm a fairly capable and intelligent guy in the world that I play. That being said, if I took that mentality, I wouldn't have learned half the things, right? Like there's so many, there's so many things that I've learned from my team that I would have never even thought of because in my mind, my capabilities would have allowed me to perform or outperform whatever task I was trying to complete. But because we didn't share those capabilities, I was realizing that they were having a struggle. And that was because my process was bad. Just because I could do really well with it didn't mean that it was capable for everybody else to do it. And that wasn't their fault. That was me. I had to go do that. Yeah, you you can't teach the intuition that you were born with or that you develop. And that's all down to the process of making sure it's okay for people to understand that, yeah, this is why we review things on a weekly basis, because you might have an idea that I wouldn't have even thought of. I might have an idea that you want me to explain a week in. But ultimately, back to your core question, it is about monitoring things and being afraid to look at results because you're worried about what they might say is not an excuse. Nobody wants a setback. No one wants that setback. Everyone wants to live with their head in the clouds and think, oh, it's okay. Yep. Last time I checked my credit card bill, it was $500. I feel like it's higher because I've bought a couple of things since then, but <laughs> uh, last time I checked, it was 500 So we'll stay in that cloud. Yeah. Maybe till Monday. That doesn't work. No, it doesn't work. And you can't, you can't go anywhere with that mentality, whether it's personally or professionally. And, you know, one of the things that we just get so much enjoyment with is once you've broached that ego, once you've been able to put it on the shelf, the conversations you get to have with people are epic. They are so encouraging. They're so productive. They're so quick to get to the point, so quick to get to the course of action. It's just such a refreshing thing. And it does, it saves you a half a year. Just the the, the posturing and going back and forth that's very expensive at the levels of which we're at. Yeah. And if you're not able to have those kind of transparent conversations with your team members, with your partners, with whatever, that's a flag. And it's good to identify sooner rather than later. These are all things that every company is going to have to go through. Every leader is going to experience. And the more that we can be clear and transparent on it, the better it's going to be. For sure. Well, my man... I think that I'm going to give you back a little bit of your day. I know that this has been a week full of exciting progress and a few sidesteps. So uh, thanks for giving me a little bit of time. (laughs) Not at all. Look forward to next week and uh, hope you have a good weekend. You too. 